Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to No Confidence. I'm David Merlin, your host. <laughs> Nothing you'll hear me say is intended as legal advice. Anything that sounds like that to you, just consider something somebody else might do on a planet far, far away where the law matters. It doesn't matter here. I prove it on a daily basis, believe it. Today is January 6th, 2018. And the message that went out with today's uh, talk show announcement was uh, Supreme Court, B-Craft has been paid. Knowledge is power. Uh, yes, indeed. And knock on wood, everything is going fine. Finally, <laughs> whatever, everything is swell. Uh, the brief is just about 95%, maybe a little more. The lady on the East Coast who will format the petition to perfectly comply with Supreme Court rules has been consulted. She'll receive this document from me no later than Monday, probably Monday morning, if I have my way. <clears throat> and she'll format it, prepare it, and uh, send a signature page to Chris in Florida. And he'll sign that and get that back to her. And then she'll do all the printing of as many copies as we need to file in the Supreme Court and then she will deliver the document to the Supreme Court. Neat. Uh, she does it as part of her living. So we have a professional. Oh, she works for, Lo, uh, for Larry Beecraft on the petitions he wants to file. Uh, that's where we got the referral. Her name is Deborah at Save a Patriot Foundation. So the petition uh, is just about totally complete. And uh, it's a very simple question. Isn't it, in fact, free speech to make a legal argument in tax court? Or to the IRS? Or to the appellate level? Yeah, it's free speech. Well, not this time. We'll penalize you for arguing Section 83 and the fact it uses the term any property to define your cost will penalize the hell out of you. Okay. So they didn't raise these issues in tax court. They saved them for appeal to skip the penalties. Both uh, the Ninth Circuit and the Eleventh Circuit Supreme Court petitioners now. So they saved their issues for appeal, and the appellate court says, well, you can't raise your issues for the first uh, first time on appeal because you didn't raise them in tax court, and you haven't proven a miscarriage of justice. i got to tell you something. This is right out of the decision on the 11th Circuit. Uh, I'm going to dig here briefly. I'm looking for the final decision in the... Lot the Da case. Okay. And here's the decision. 
This is the 11th Circuit. That's one level below the Supreme Court. And listen to how really very stupid this judge thinks all of us are. It starts out on page 5 of 6. This is, you know, they're only going to tell you briefly why we're not going to hear the issues. And this is what he says. Part 2, discussion. We review de novo the tax court's grant of summary judgment. Uh, See Roberts versus Commissioner. Issues not raised before the tax court are not properly before us on appeal. Stubbs versus Commissioner. However, and this is what he says we did not prove when we showed you'll be penalized in tax court for asking, for arguing statute. They say, however, we may consider an issue not raised in a lower court if, one, the issue involves a pure question of law and refusal to consider it would result in a miscarriage of justice. Two, the party had no opportunity to raise the issue previously. Three, the interest of substantial justice is at stake. Four, the proper resolution is beyond any doubt. Or five, that means it wasn't and five, it was any one of those. Or five, the issue presents significant questions of general impact or of great public concern. See Access Now Incorporated versus Southwest Airlines, 11th Circuit, 2004. So by showing these docket numbers in tax court where people were penalized for arguing Section 83 and other statutory claims, we did not prove it's a miscarriage of justice, did not prove we had no opportunity to raise it in the lower level, did not prove there's an interest of substantial justice, uh, did not prove there's the proper resolution is beyond doubt, and we did not prove that the issues present significant questions. Horse Bucky. Uh, they concede these are new issues. Uh, they raised four arguments not raised in tax court. Additionally, they have not shown why it would be a miscarriage of justice to decline to address their claims or why they could not have raised these arguments before the tax court and appealed any resulting sanctions order along with the merits of their claims. Go ahead, get penalized in tax court, and appeal it. And on appeal, we review it for abuse of discretion. Well, aren't you telling us right there that it is an abuse of discretion? Go ahead and get penalized. We'll straighten it out when you appeal. Why would you straighten it out? Well, because it's a miscarriage. Uh-oh, did I just say that? Yeah, you did, Your Honor. They just admitted it's a miscarriage of justice and say you didn't prove there is one. Because they offer, hey, why don't you just go ahead and get penalized and straighten it out when you come to appeal? Uh, they have not proven they could not have raised these arguments before the tax court and appealed any resulting sanctions order along with the merits of their claims. Footnote number two. Footnote two. The IRS may impose penalties on any person who submits an argument that previously has been deemed frivolous or reflects a desire to delay or impede tax collection. See section 6702B. We review the tax court's imposition of sanctions for an abuse of discretion. And as we know, nothing is, a, is an abuse of discretion if it's an, a, a penalty against a citizen. I've got the docket numbers to prove it. 
Well, they haven't proven it's a miscarriage of justice. So in tax court, and this is the final order we're appealing to the Supreme Court, even if you're wrong, if something has previously been held to be frivolous, excuse me, there is no tax statute that says check the frivolous arguments list. There isn't one. So anybody just looking at the law, just looking at IRS Publication 17 says, okay, my services are my cost. The value of any money or property paid for my paycheck is my cost. Cash or other property is my cost. This is all on the Federal Income Taxation page of wevgov.com. These are regulations right there. You'll see them. This is the governing equation for calculation of cost and profit for the individual who sells their personal services as an independent contractor or employee. Period. All compensation for services is governed by Section 83A when the question of income taxation arises. And you'll be penalized. Well, it's free speech. And there is no statute that says, uh, it says tax court can penalize you for a frivolous argument, but it doesn't prohibit you from filing a frivolous argument. Oh, okay, thanks. So, how do you know it's frivolous? It's section 83. Everybody says it explains how to tax me, and for the life of me, I can't get the value of my labor out of that statute into gross income in 61A. I can't do it. Help me. Okay, we'll help you. Here's a $5,000 penalty. That's frivolous. Next case, please. So the target in the Supreme Court is huge. Uh, the abuses are enormous. And the petition speaks on a blue-collar level about what are we supposed to do with this? This is ridiculous. We're in the highest court in the land over the statute everybody agrees explains how to tax us. They have one way out of this argument. That's what the petition is highlighting to the Supreme Court. There's one way out of this. And it's to say, well, your labor is not a cost because you didn't buy your labor before you sold it to your employer or your customer. So you, didn't, you don't have a cost in it. it. You didn't buy it before you sold it. So everything that you sell it for is a profit. And the counter is, the law says any money or property is a cost. Where's your authority to exclude labor from any money or property? And they'll penalize you. But now I have five Supreme Court cases through 2008 where the government won, arguing the term any or any property means all of it, everything, unless the law provides for an exception. Is that right? Hang on. Uh, I'm in the petition right now that I've written, and uh, we have a, <laughs> there's a, uh, a quote from Monsanto that I pulled out and stuck in here that uh, speaks volumes about right where they have to put a law, all they have is a penalty. The statutory provision at issue here is broad and unambiguous, and Congress's failure to supplement 853A's comprehensive phrase, any property, 
with an exclamatory, and we even mean assets to be used to pay an attorney, does not lessen the force of the statute's plain language. Because here's a guy arguing, hey, you, when you busted me for manufacturing heroin, you seized any property. You gotta leave me money to pay for an attorney. No, we don't. The statute says we can seize any property. We seized it. And so he appealed all the way to the Supreme Court saying, hey, you gotta leave me attorney's fees. And they said, unless the law provides for an exception, you're wrong. <laughs> so I'm using the same, that's the government's argument. And Monsanto is a, uh, I think that's a 1989 case. <laughs> and uh, it just gets better right on through 2008, five cases. And uh, 1989, Monsanto. So uh, that's where the argument lies. And if you point that out in tax court, it's frivolous and you'll be penalized. But you don't know that it's frivolous because in the IRS's frivolous argument list, they have yet to put the Section 83 statute in there. That's it. Frivolous argument list. They've had 23, 24 years to put this argument on their list, and they have not. They, that's how badly they want everybody to not know about Section 83. And uh, it's, it's come to this point where this is how I phrased it in the petition. Let me read a uh, short paragraph. Um, I know what word I'm looking for. So the challenge is, where is your authority to exclude labor from any money or property? It gripes the respondent to no end that the law might actually change the IRS and America has seen how, when left to its own devices, respondents' taxing agency runs literally wild through the lives of countless Americans. See, and then I'm going to cite the case that they just lost, where they were exposed for having targeted conservative groups. This is not dereliction or incompetence, but rather these are the cogs on the wheels of debauchery. Who's to say otherwise when the respondent is silent in its own defense, letting crippling monetary sanctions do its talking for it, filling in the blank with tyranny right where there has to be a statute. See the 16th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution and Monsanto. Quote, the statutory provision at issue here is broad and unambiguous, and Congress's failure to supplement 853's comprehensive phrase, any property, with an exclamatory, and we even mean assets to be used to pay an attorney does not lessen the force of the statute's plain language. That is, <laughs> that, that's probably going to be the last paragraph in the petition. Because that's exactly what's happened here. You look at a chart, left-hand side, cost. Right-hand side, profit. They never share a penny. And the law puts all of your paycheck that constitutes the fair market value of your labor on the left in the cost column. And their policy preference that property within which you have no basis cannot be counted as a cost moves your paycheck from the left to the right-hand side, profit. It creates an object of a subject of the income tax. Only Congress is allowed to do that. 
this policy accomplishes that very thing in relation to your paycheck and Chapter 1, Income Tax, and Chapter 21, FICA, Social Security, because it's an income tax, and Chapter 2, Self-Employed Social Security, because it's an income tax. And Section 83 applies to all compensation. That would include 1402A, Self-Employment Earnings, 3121A, Wages in FICA. Their entire... Oh, and if you don't owe FICA, your employer doesn't owe matching FICA. The entire tax scheme on people that sell their labor, all contact with the IRS ever had or underway now or that ever will be is based on this policy that moves your paycheck from the left-hand side, cost, to the right-hand side, profit. And that's why the penalties, and that's what's described in this petition to show the reasons for this is because we're striking a nerve. It's right here. Listen to this. This is right out of the petition. They have to choose one because both cannot be true. Listen to this. Again, focusing only on the Section 83 fiasco, these two statements in, subst in substance are from the mouth of the respondent itself. The first notion is supported by an ocean of case law where Section 61B was ignored. That's the statute that says for items specifically included in gross income, go see Section 71 through 90. Where 61B was ignored and where Section 83, 212, 1011, and 12 and their implementing regulations weren't even in evidence or contention. So these two statements are from the respondent. The first one is supported by an ocean of case law under 61A that didn't even argue Section 83. And I'll read both of them, and then I'll describe the second one. So the first one, the notion number one, all of your compensation for services actually performed is profit or gross income is defined under 61A. Property within which you have no basis is excluded from cost because you didn't have to purchase it from another before you sold it to your employer, customer, client, etc. So everything you make when you sell it is a profit or a gain. Notion number two. As used in statutes and regulations, the terms any or any property are all-inclusive. The second notion is supported by five decisions in this court. The respondent one and which appellate courts have come uh, and with which appellate courts have come into line and then I cite like eight or nine appellate cases that agree with the Supreme Court on that notion in any nation of laws you simply cannot have both of these notions which notion prevails you can't have both of these any, as, uh, as used in statutes and regulations, the term any or any property are all-inclusive. Well, not if all of my property is a gain, because the law says all of my property is a cost. Right there. There's the rub. This is right out of the petition. So, Mr. B. Craft has been paid to stand uh, on the outside of the court as a witness 
and offer as a gesture of friendship to the court his commentary based on his more than appreciable expertise, uh, unquestionable heightened knowledge of uh, tax law history and uh, criminal litigation, of course, especially. And he's going to write a friend of the court brief based on the issues I brought out of this tax court, uh, out of this uh, Supreme Court petition. It's free speech to be wrong in tax court. And I don't care if it does say you can penalize me. I hereby challenge the statute is unconstitutional. And beyond that, it's an abuse of discretion to penalize me for making an argument you can't even refute. They refuse to give us the exegesis moment. Exegesis is an interpretation. E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. -E -E exegesis. That's an interpretation. I didn't. I never even seen that word until I read that uh, Pagel decision. You see, cited on the um, WeVGov.com federal income taxation page. Uh, the exegesis of the provisions is the interpretation of the provisions, <clears throat> which is standard fare. And if you ask tax court to do it, you'll be penalized. Period. If you ask the IRS about it administratively and press it because they can't talk about it, they don't train on the law, they'll send you to tax court in retaliation. <laughs> and so you end up in a court where you can't have it either. And then on appeal, well, uh, we find it's not an abuse of discretion because you made the same old argument that wages aren't income. I didn't say that. I said Section 83 has been violated. Those are two totally different claims. One is, uh, I should be allowed my labor as a cost. The other one is, excuse me, you're stealing. You broke this statute to take my money. Totally different claim. But on appeal, they'll run from it. And then the Supreme Court will decline it. <clears throat> so now we're basically bringing tax court uh, for review before the Supreme Court because you can't have it on appeal can't raise it in tax court, you'll be sanctioned, and the appellate court actually said, well, go ahead and get penalized. We'll straighten it out. Well, so you're admitting it's a miscarriage of justice. Wow. Uh, the private hell that is the, the soul of each and every one of these American judges. Just a commode for a soul. Oh. So, uh, what what I'm thankful for is that it's made the target huge. The target is huge. And uh, they can remand the case uh, for certain reasons, or they can follow the... Uh, there's a case. Uh, Larry Beecraft sent me this case, Hormel versus um, Helvering. Helvering was a commissioner of internal revenue. And the Hormel case, they described why they might just take a case uh, themselves instead of remanding. There's such a big mess here. There's such an important question. We're going to step in here. Hold everything. We're going to step in. And uh, they described why they might just do that in a certain instance. In the Hormel versus Helvering case, 312 U.S. 552. 312 U.S. 552. It's a 1941 case. 
But those cases do not announce an inflexible practice, as indeed they could not without doing violence to the statutes which give to Circuit Court of Appeals reviewing decisions of the Board of Tax Appeals the power to modify, reverse, or remand decisions not in accordance with law as justice may require. There may always be exceptional cases or particular circumstances which will prompt a reviewing or appellate court where injustice might otherwise result to consider questions of law which were neither pressed nor passed upon by the court or administrative agency below. Rules of practice and procedure are devised to promote the ends of justice, not to defeat them. What a novel concept. A rigid and undeviating judicially declared practice under which courts of review would invari invariably and under all circumstances decline to consider all questions which had not previously been specifically urged would be out of harmony with this policy. Orderly rules of procedure do not require sacrifice of the rules of fundamental justice. Another epiphany. <laughs> Where have you been? An examination of the cases relied upon by the petitioner discloses that this court, in following in some cases the general principle sought to be invoked here by petitioner, has been careful to point out the circumstances justifying application of the practice in the particular case. End quote. So, this case is pointed to in the petition as, you know, uh, what do you say? If, uh, if the court decides this is such an instance and wants to take on the statutory issues uh, that the appellate court didn't want to talk about, uh, let us amend the petition and then it's game on. Or the court can remand. And I'm not quite done with this. Um, the uh, uh, tax uh, remand to the lower level the uh, tax court's history of sanctions is, un is reasonably viewed by the petitioner as a deterrent against raising his challenges there, and the lower court may invalidate the assessments as a matter of due process. That's their escape clause. Oh, you couldn't raise these issues in tax court. It would be wrong to remand for a new appeal, because then you got to go through all this litigation again and so the assessments should be declared null and void because it's tax courts policy of penalizing people that caused all of this inconvenience <clears throat> so you may remand it um, uh, saying you know they were right to view the lower courts conduct as a deterrent and so uh, you can invalidate the assessments because tax court was unavailable the review process was flawed. What that does, it lets all the courts right out of these cases, bingo, doesn't rub off on anybody else's cases. However, it sends a message to tax court that is enormous. When someone has a statutory challenge, you got to brief your way out of it, is basically what that says. And if it's a legal challenge, it, it almost rubs up against the Supreme Court to determine or declare that uh, the penalty statutes are a violation of protected speech when used against people with a purely legal argument. And here are their options thereafter if they pass up the escape clause. And they can always just say, no, we're not going to hear it. Or, two, 
uh, remand uh, with instructions that such sanctions impermissibly chill free speech and do not provide the due process to which the petitioners are entitled and are thus a miscarriage of justice and petitioners issued should have been admitted on appeal because he was rightfully apprehensive given tax court's history of sanctions. Or three, uh, the term uh, and three instruct also that the term any is all inclusive as used in tax statutes and regulations. Uh, and the last one, petitioner has the right to a determination as to whether a regulation does or does not deviate from the statute it seeks to implement or whether it conflicts with another statute or regulation. That's pretty easy. So uh, I might add one or two things to that uh, proposed uh, remand framework. Anyway, the Supreme Court petition uh, will be in the mail to the court no later than the 16th. We're moving right ahead. Everything's fine. Uh, the fact that... and. Let me take this opportunity to personally thank uh, a very generous listener uh, who had the resources to reach out and retain Lowell Beecraft to uh, perform the, the amicus brief for the Supreme Court filing. And that does not distinguish this listener from uh, other listeners who I know are very generous. Uh, everybody's I presume everybody really to be generous I know a lot of people are simply unable to lend support uh, so I'm not making that distinction but here we actually reached somebody who had resources and they threw a bunch of them at Mr. Beecraft and uh, I'm forever grateful it not only uh, helps the litigant which is job one this is to get out of the assessments first order of business is getting the client out of trouble it is in every case. But number two, uh, it lends great credibility to the work I do, where uh, Mr. Beecraft hasn't joined in with really anybody very much at all, if any, over time, and never on a statutory argument. And here he is. You can uh, listen to the interviews where I've been on his radio shows on my YouTube channel, Take From Caesar is the name of my YouTube channel. You can link to it from wevgov.com on the left-hand side, the menu column, top of the menu column, link that says YouTube 2. Click on that. Download the shows here in my archive at TalkShoe, and I'm also uh, Wednesday evenings on 87488. That's American Liberties with Chris Chapman, <clears throat> and he records every call. There's a great running uh, progress check on everything we're doing every Wednesday, and... Uh, if you want to contribute to this uh, effort, buy the flash drive courses on wevgov.com. That's the best way to contribute. If you already have them, buy them anyway, give them away. Uh, at least somebody else will have. There's an extremely important point I wanted to make. I'll make it in closing here. My courses are not just, here's what Dave thinks about the law. <clears throat> it's a matter of, I left myself alone with my research and my studies and I wasn't influenced by anybody else except Kurt Riggin for attitude and Kurt Riggin for understanding the basic basic framework of how you have to crank on the law on a state level but other than that all of this 
is my own device and my knowledge base, my skill set, and the tools I provide. Those three things. The fourth thing, the tactics. Which tools to just put down? We don't need that tool right now. Which tool to pick up? Because this one's going to really twist them. Okay? The tactics I use that I teach in these courses are unique to me. No one has done as pronounced and uh, as a prolific campaign with criminal complaints against public servants than I've done. And the documents you get in Microsoft Word, they all look like dynamite. And uh, they mean business. The way I crank on the criminal code is unconscionable. If you're a public servant, it's tough to deal with. It's the reason I do it. They don't like a criminal complaint every time. And so I always push them to commit official misconduct. Colorado has first and second degree official misconduct. Washington State, 9, uh, 9A.80.010. Uh, if a public servant engages in unauthorized conduct or fails to perform a duty imposed upon them by law to deprive somebody of a right or privilege, one year in jail, $5,000 max. Gross misdemeanor. They live in that statute because, as a society, we are ignorant of the law. When you cure some of that, they instead will live in criminal complaints. <laughs> it's that easy. The equation is that short. Go to my YouTube channel, Take From Caesar, and listen to the uh, drive-by litigation tutorial. It's, it's a recorded conference call off a talk shoe here, is what it is. There's a testimonial that begins about 27 minutes into it, and she'll tell you what she's able to do in California with my drive-by litigation course. They clubbed her, cost her her children, her job, with a bunch of crap. And two, two years later, she heard of my courses. Six months after she got my courses, she's prowling the court for violations of the law she can file criminal complaints over. And she's gotten calls from the government's attorneys. That's unheard of, unless you're hitting the right button. So, uh, for what it's worth, my courses are dynamite. Get my courses. I want you to have my knowledge base, the skill set, the tools. Uh, they're right there. The tactics that I highlight in my use of these tools. The tactics are so pointed and so offensive that you'll be a walking disaster area for any public servant, really, that uh, wants to behave in a corrupt manner. My name is David Murrow. Thanks for joining me on No Confidence today. It's uh, January 6th, 2018. I'll see you on the next episode. I say good show. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.